very timely. So I want to encourage you to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and we will use this as something of a jumping off point as we talk on the subject of deacons tonight. Philippians chapter 1, and we'll start in the very first verse. Very first verse of Philippians 1. In some senses tonight, this will be perhaps less like a sermon and more like a Sunday school lesson, more like a teaching, uh, and I hope that you will be benefited by that. We are really going to try to understand what the Bible says about this very important topic of a specific role in the church. Look with me at Philippians 1 and verse 1. Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. Now, who are saints? Saints are Christians. The Roman Catholic idea of saints as being people that are venerated or some special Christians is just simply not the Bible. The Bible uses the term saints to mean Christians. Who is Paul writing this letter to? Christians. That's who he's writing it to. Now, notice what he says. To the saints, all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. Now notice what he says next. With the bishops and deacons. Now what an interesting way to introduce a, a, a letter. I'm writing this to all the Christians, all the saints, with, with two specific categories of people. Bishops. And deacons. Now, the word bishops here is the Greek word episkopos. It is the idea, it's the same word that we would translate, you might find um, uh, rightly translated an elder. It would be what we think about as an elder today or a pastor. So he's saying, effectively, if we were to translate it in the way we normally use it in, in our churches, we don't usually talk about bishops. We would say, with the elders or pastors, that's really what he's talking about. I'm talking to the pastors here, and deacons. Deacons. So that raises the question for us tonight, what is a deacon? What is a deacon, and is clearly an important enough role that Paul found it important not only to call out all the Christians that this letter is going to, not only all the elders or pastors. By the way, this verse is another support for the idea that a church should have a plurality of elders or pastors. This is our view as a church. Again, we don't hold it against those who take the view that a, pastor sh that a church should be kind of ruled by one senior pastor. But our view of the most biblical form of church government is that a church is ruled by a plurality of elders. In fact, Paul instructs Timothy that in every city he is to appoint elders, plural, in every city. And one of the reasons that's very important for us is that we, as leaders here, as elders at this church, recognize that we need to be pastored. There is no man who does not need to be pastored. All of us need to be pastors and pastor, pastored. And one of the most important things about having a plurality of elders is that we are called to pastor each other. And I'm grateful for the men who are called with me here at Straightgate to pastor me and watch out for my soul, even as we are called to pastor collectively and look out for each other's souls. We believe this is the biblical method 
uh, the most biblically supported method of church government. I think we understand generally what a pastor or what an elder does to care for people's souls, to lead and to under-shepherd the church of God, to serve the people of God in this capacity. But what is a deacon? Now I say this because the church that you grew up in, if you grew up in a church, probably has influenced your idea of what a deacon is. For some people, if you grew up in a liturgical setting, I think of a very liturgically formal type of church, a deacon might be simply kind of a go-between between the priest or the bishop in that church and the people. They might help out with passing out the communion or they might have kind of liturgical tasks or other kind of tasks that set them kind of in the middle between the people and between the ruling leader uh, or leaders that are there. That may have been your view of deacons growing up. Another common one in some churches is that a deacon is just someone important, just someone important who might not be spiritual enough to be an elder. Now, this is one of the greatest misuses of deacons in the church of God. When we appoint people to be deacons because they give a lot of money, because they have a very, very significant reputation of prestige in the community, because they are known and their opinion matters a great deal and we don't want to make them mad, so we put them as a deacon. We're going to see tonight that is a very, very unscriptural method of selecting deacons, but yet that is often common. That is how deacons are selected. They're important people in the church, and so they need a title, they need a position. That's not the biblical approach. Others have an idea of deacons that are effectively church rulers, church leaders. There are churches that are deacon-led. I think of the church that I went to in Ann Arbor when I was there for law school. The deacons are effectively elders. They effectively act as elders. They are responsible for things like church discipline along with the pastor. They provide spiritual counsel and guidance for the church. Now, I'm not overly critical of this form of government because I think whatever they want to call those people, they might call them deacons, I would call them elders. Whatever the approach is, um, uh, in that view, the deacon is really one who is exercising spiritual leadership and spiritual authority over the life of the church, even as they are serving practically in some ways. Again, I don't think this is the most biblically prescribed way. I don't think this is the right biblical terminology for those people, though I understand the concept. So if those are some of the ways that we viewed what a deacon is, I want to talk tonight about what a biblical deacon is and why that relates to us in the life of the church. And over a period of several months, we have been assessing this question as our elders here at church, and we have identified several men that we believe meet the spiritual qualification as deacons and who we intend to put forward before you all as truly formal deacons. And these men are John Anderson, Dave McKean, and Ben Hatchett. And tonight, I just want to go through what we view the role of a deacon is in a local church, what are the requirements and responsibilities of those men, why we believe these men satisfy those uh, qualities, and also why in the life of our church right now we believe it's important to be identifying deacons and installing them, not just as an example to all of us, but as a real means of empowering them to serve in the role that we believe God has called them to 
and in a role that we believe will be a great blessing to the body of Christ. So let's start with what a deacon is. And we're going to go through this message in just three different ideas of a deacon. Our main passage is going to be really the only passage in the Bible that talks directly about describing what a deacon is. And that is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So you can turn over now to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to talk first about the responsibility of a deacon. We're going to talk secondly about the requirements of a deacon. And finally, we're going to talk about the reward of a deacon. We're just going to follow the text, the responsibility of a deacon, the requirements of a deacon, and the reward of a deacon. Start with me in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And if you'll notice with me in verse number 1, Scripture says this is a true saying. It's a faithful saying. It's something that's valid. If a man desire the office of a bishop... It's the same word, episkopos, that we saw before that Paul referenced in Philippians 1.1. There's a bishop, the elder, the pastor. If a man desire the office of an elder or pastor, he desires a good work. A bishop, then, must be, and he goes on to list a whole category, a whole set of requirements that an elder or a pastor must be. They are non-negotiables. A pastor must um, have these qualifications in order to be selected for that role. Now, if you go down to verse number 8, the first word of verse 8 is likewise. Likewise must the deacons. Likewise must. So in the same way that the role of elder and pastor has requirements that are non-negotiables, in the same way, a deacon has certain non-negotiables, requirements that must be in place for that person to be installed in that role. Now, let's start, first of all, just with the word deacon. Likewise, must the deacons. Now, what is the responsibility? What is the very nature of a deacon? Well, let's start with the word itself in the Greek. The Greek word that is used is actually just transliterated. You say, what do you mean by transliterated? The Greek word that is used here is diakonos. Diakonos. What does that sound like? Deacon. Diakonos. D-I-A-K-O-N-O-S is how we would put it in our English letters. And simply, it has just been transliterated to deacon. Now, what I want you to see is that this word in the Greek, in the, in, the, in the language in which the Holy Spirit originally inspired it, this is a very common word. This word is used over 30 times in our New Testament, and only in three places is it transliterated deacon. Where? In Philippians 1.1 and two times in 1 Timothy chapter 3. That means the vast majority of times it is used in the Bible, it's not translated deacon. Do you know what it's translated? Servant and minister. It is translated minister, like I am your minister or something like that, 20 times, and it is translated servant eight times. I just want to read you a couple of these verses just so you get a flavor of what this is. In Matthew 20, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. He's saying, You know what it is to have a boss. That's what, you, that's what the Gentiles love to do. They love to be bosses. But he said, 
Listen to what he says. He says, but it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your diakonos. Let him be your minister. Do you want to be great in the Christian church? Then serve. And this is exactly the flip that the gospel does, that Christianity does. The world says, do you want to be great? Be up here. Be up here. Be at the top. And the Christian says, no, do you want to be great? Get to the bottom. Serve. That's how you become great in the family of God, in the kingdom of God. That is what greatness looks like, of course, because that's what Jesus did. In Luke 22, he said, for whether is greater he that sits at meat or he that serves. Which one is greater in the world's eyes, the waiter or the person who's sitting there being served on by the waiter? He's the, the answer is obvious. But he says, but I am among you as he that serves. And this word is simply the verb form of diakonos. It's just the, he's just saying, I am the, that one of you that is deaconizing. I am the one that is ministering. I am the one that is serving. Here's another use of that same word. In Romans chapter 13, Paul is talking about government leaders. He's talking about rulers, our physical rulers here in our government, our mayor, our governor, our president, and others that are in authority over us. And he describes them as being the ministers, the diakonos of God to us for good. Our governmental leaders are our deacons in a certain sense for good. And Paul uses this of himself and many other Christians when he calls them in our, in our translations able ministers of the gospel, faithful ministers of the gospel, ministers of God. He's using the same idea, diakonos. So in one sense, we would say that every one of us is called to be a deacon. Every one of us, it doesn't matter who you are, if you are a Christian, you are called to be a diakonos. Why? Because just like Jesus said in John chapter 13, when he got down in a humiliating position and girded himself with a towel and took off the sandals of his disciples and washed their feet in an example of the lowest form of servant, a slave service, Jesus said, just like I have done, you do too. Why? Because the servant is not greater than his master. I'm the master, and I got down and served your, and, and washed your feet. That means you're, you as a servant are not greater than I am. You do the same thing. You be a servant to everyone. So I want you to notice, again, what is common to all of us is to be deacons in that lowercase sense, diakonos. All of us are called to be ministers. All of us are called to be servants. And yet there is a truth in the Christian sense, in the biblical sense, that not all of us are particularly gifted to be servants or ministers. And you say, what, what do you mean by that? I mean this. In Romans chapter 12, Paul is talking about the different gifts that we have as Christians. Listen to what he says. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. You and I have different grace that is given to us for particular responsibilities. And he says, whether prophecy... Let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Is your gift toward prophecy, toward the biblical uh, uh, speech under the influence of the Holy Spirit? He said, then you prophesy according to the proportion of faith that you have, according to the grace that is given to you. Not everyone has that gift. He goes on to say, or ministry. 
That's another relation to that word diakonos, service. If your gift is ministry or service, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching. So the point here is that every one of us is called to serve. Every one of us is to give ourselves to service for others. But we know there are some people who are specially called or insightful in how they are called to accomplish it. There are some people, for example, that are very gifted when it comes to finances. My mind doesn't work like that in that way. I am not an accounting person. You have no idea how grateful I am for Dave McKean. Let's just be honest there. I am extremely grateful. If, I asked, if you asked me, Peter, can you take on the accounting at church, you'd be making a bad mistake. You'd be making a bad mistake. But yet, there is a form of gifting that Dave has or that other ones of you have that are particularly given or particularly called to a form of ministry or service that the rest of us are not called. Do you get the idea? We are all called to be deacons, and yet in a certain sense, some are gifted in a unique way. And to help us understand how this might relate to the life of a church, I want us to turn back to Acts chapter 6. Keep your finger in 1 Timothy chapter 3, but go back to Acts chapter 6. This is the passage in our Bibles that is most comparable to actually the selection of deacons. Now, I want us to note that the men who are chosen here in Acts chapter 6 are not formally called deacons here. The word deacon is never applied to them. And so in a certain sense, we shouldn't try to take a later concept and bring it back into here and say, oh, these men were deacons. We should do it exactly like it was done here. But this is an example of the Holy Spirit leading the leaders of a church to select men and appoint them over a particular task in a manner of service. Let's look at that together, will you? In verse 1, Scripture says, in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplied, so the church is expanding greatly, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Now, who is this? Grecians refers to Greek-speaking Jews. They likely were Jewish people that didn't grow up in Judea. They probably grew up somewhere else around the Roman Empire. So what language would they have grown up speaking? Greek. That would have been their dominant language. So now they are in Jerusalem, and they are with Hebrews. Now, where do you think Hebrews likely grew up? Judea. They likely would have grown up in that area that we would now call Israel. And so what language would they very likely have grown up speaking? Hebrew. Now, you have already a, 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 a chance that you're going to have difficulty. Because you have some people who have grown up in Greek culture with Greek language and familiarity with Greek customs. And then you've got other people who have grown up in Hebrew culture with Hebrew language and Hebrew customs. And already you're going to have a mix. Isn't that true? We see even in our own Christian church. How often do churches just self-segregate? Self-segregate based on culture. Self-segregate based on language. Self-segregate based on, on how much we identify with a particular culture. And so you already have a recipe for dissonance, for disharmony. And notice what happens. There arose a murmuring of the Grecians, the Greek-speaking Jews, against the Hebrews because their widows, the Greek-speaking widows, were neglected in the daily ministration, in the daily service of food, likely, that was going on. The church, effectively, it seems, was running a kind of food pantry. They were ministering to poor people that were there. 
And the Greek-speaking widows are saying, we're not getting the same treatment as the Hebrews. There's preferential treatment. And so what happens? Then the 12, the 12 apostles, called the multitude of the disciples unto them. So they call a church meeting. And they said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, are they saying that work is underneath them, is below them? Oh, it's not right for us to denigrate ourselves, to be waiters, to be doing this kind of menial task. No, absolutely not. What they are saying is, we have a different responsibility that we need to focus on. What is, what's their responsibility? We should not leave the word of God. We should not leave the word of God. Notice what they say in verse 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So what they chose to do in verse 3, Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you seven men of honest report, who have a reputation for honesty, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now, what business was this? Running the daily ministry, running the daily food pantry, running the daily service of generosity. Now, what do you see here? You see certain men of a certain kind of reputation, and a certain kind of character being appointed to supervise and oversee particular tasks, particular business of the church. Why? So that the elders didn't have to get their hands dirty doing menial labor? Absolutely not. So that the elders could focus on a particular calling that God had given them. That's the idea. It's not that one is above the other or below the other in a certain sense. It is one, it is each called according to their gift and according to their ability to serve and to minister in a practical way. And verse 5 through verse 7 tells us the effect. They chose out seven men who were full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. They laid their hands on them, they prayed, and this difficult disharmony was, uh, was taken care of. You say, why does that matter? Because it shows us something very important. We should be very careful not to view the kind of elder role or the kind of deacon role to kind of be a boss-servant kind of role. It is a co-laboring role in particular. Now, in a certain sense, are the elders assigning the deacons to that role? Yes, and so we should keep that in mind. But in a very real sense, there is nothing about this kind of relationship between elders and deacons and even the saints themselves, the local Christians in a church, that is a kind of hierarchy or is a kind of I'm the boss or you're the boss. Because ultimately the elders are serving and the deacons are serving. They are serving in different roles and for different purposes and based on different gifts. And yet they are co-servants. They are co-laborers. They are seeking to, to collectively and together to advance the kingdom of God. So recognize this responsibility of a deacon. It is very simply this, to serve. To serve over a particular task, a particular business as appointed by the God-directed overseers, the elders in that place. That is what I would say very simply is the responsibility of the deacon. Now let's go back to chapter 3 of 1 Timothy 
And let's look secondly at the requirements of a deacon. What must a deacon be in order to assume a formal role that has responsibility to serve the local church over a particular task or particular business? Let's start in verse 8. And we're simply going to let the text speak for itself here. Look at verse 8. Likewise, must the deacons be grave? Grave. Sometimes we hear that word and we think grave like a graveyard. We think of grave men as people that don't have any sense of humor. Uh, John, you're in trouble there, buddy. You're going to have to cut the jokes. No, that's not what it means at all. It's not what it means at all. Um, in fact, it's, it's very sobering to me because one of the people that we went through this process and I very much hope to be announcing to you tonight was Ron. Ron and Stacy, we took through this process and we... By God's grace, we're going to have Ron be a deacon. We felt that he met all of these qualifications. And if you know Ron, he's not, he's, he's not uh, missing an opportunity to be a jokester at times. No, it simply is the qualification that they are, in a sense, honorable. They're respected. That's the idea of the word grave. They have a weight to them. They are men of substance in their local community. No, does this mean they're the most successful, they're the wealthiest? Of course not. It is meaning someone who has a, a, a kind of, of, of integrity and honor in the way they live out their life. They must be grave. It's a very important thing. Now, why would it be important that in a deacon, a servant, be grave, be honorable, be respected? Well, what's a servant called to do in being overseer of a particular task? Think about those men who were called to handle the daily ministry of food to the early church. What would happen if they had selected a man who wasn't respected, who wasn't honorable, who didn't have a character of integrity? Would that have done anything to quell the disunity of the Greek-speaking women who says, we're being, we're being mistreated in this? No. So it's necessary for a deacon to have a reputation to be grave, to be honorable and respected. Notice what else it says. Not only grave, they must, be double they must not be double-tongued. Say, what does this mean? The, the idea of this is literally mean to speak two different things. Have you ever noticed a person who, who says two different things to two different people depending on what they think that person wants to hear? They'll say one thing to your face and they'll say another thing behind your back. They'll say one thing to this person over here when they want to impress them and they'll say something completely opposite to the person over here when they want to impress them. I think that's roughly the idea here of what Paul is, is meaning and the Holy Spirit is meaning for us. They cannot be double the tongue. What does it mean when someone is double tongued? They're not a person of integrity. They are someone who's different to different people depending on what they want to hear. The person of integrity is the one who cuts it straight and says what needs to be said no matter the consequences is the one who simply is going to be honest with you to your face and is going to be honest with you behind your back. That's exactly what the character, it seems to me here, of that person is. Do they have that integrity in the way that they speak? Notice the next one. Not They must be grave. They must not be double-tongued. They must not be given to much wine. 
That's literally what it says, given to. The idea there is that they cannot be addicted by, they cannot be in near close proximity to, they cannot be a person of much wine. You know, this simply means, I think, that these people must be not be controlled by a substance that is, by its nature, controlling. How many people have you seen make an absolute ruin of their financial situation under the influence of wine or of alcohol? How many of you people have you seen make a mess of their moral character in, their, in acts of fornication or adultery or other sexual sin in, under the influence of alcohol? How many people have you seen make a mess of their family relationships, their dealings with their wife or their dealings with their children under the influence or under the control of alcohol? And Paul is simply saying here, the man that is to be a, a servant, perhaps dealing with the finances, perhaps dealing with other practical natures, practical tasks of the church, cannot be a man who is given to much wine, who is controlled by alcohol in his daily life. And so here's another aspect of his integrity, of his character. Notice also, not just not given to much wine, he cannot be greedy of filthy lucre. Filthy lucre. He cannot be a greedy man. He cannot be marked by a love of or a control that money has over him. You say, well, why would this matter? Well, why wouldn't it matter? A deacon's called to be what? A servant overseeing a particular business or task of a church. Can you imagine the people, the first seven, who were there in Acts chapter 6, if they had been greedy people, if they hadn't been given to complete integrity in their business dealings, in the way they handled and stewarded money, how much ill reproach they could have brought up to the cause of Christ. And again, how grateful we have been for the service of men like Dave and John and others who have been men of integrity in handling the financial dealings of the church. It is absolutely necessary that they demonstrate that they are not men who are greedy in their daily life. They are not captured by the love and the control of money. Let's keep on going. Not just not greedy of filthy lucre. They must hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. They must hold the mystery of the faith. They must be committed to the central doctrines of the Christian faith. They cannot be men who do not believe what we believe about who Jesus Christ is and what this Bible teaches on the foundational aspects of it. They must be holding, they must be committed to the mystery of our central Christian faith. But it also must also be in a pure conscience. You say, why in a pure conscience? Because they need to be living it. They cannot be men tormented, in a sense, by their own conscience about the areas they are living completely antithetically to the cause of Christ, to the Christian faith. In other words, what they believe needs to, in a, in a manner of integrity, be what they live. Now, does that suggest they need to be perfect men? Of course not. Does this mean that they don't have feet of clay like all of us do? No, but it simply is that their testimony of their Christian faith is, to the very best of their ability, being lived out in a pure conscience in their own lives. Notice verse 10. And let these also first be proved. Hmm. The idea of proved is tested. Now, this could be one of two things. One, it could be that the elders are truly to test them, to prove them out. There is to be a searching inquiry. 
And we believe that that is what we have done here over the last several months in meeting with them individually, in going over various requirements of deacons, in interviewing them and asking them about their sense of calling to this responsibility. We believe we have done that testing. But you could also say that there is a sense, a test in which everyone is being tested by their daily behavior. Is this person already living out a life of service? Is this person already living out their Christian character, their integrity? Is it open and obvious in a way that makes them very notable and very suitable to be chosen in this regard? This is the requirement of a deacon. Go on to verse 11. Even so, must their wives be grave, same idea, grave, a kind of honor, a kind of respect, not slanderers. Hmm. This idea of slanderers is actually from the Greek word diab- di- diabolos. Where do you think that comes from? The devil. You say in what way? The devil is an accuser. He's a slanderer. He slanders us before God day and night. And what the Bible is teaching us here is that these particular women that are mentioned here need to be people who have the character and integrity of their tongue, not to be accusers, not to be slanderers, but to be these kind of honest and grace-fueled women. Grave, not slanderers, sober. That means utterly uncontrolled by outer substances. Utterly free from control in intoxicating substances like wine. And faithful in all things. People of integrity. Women of integrity. And then he goes on to say in verse 12, Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. I'll just note this, this idea of being a husband of one wife. I think really what it means is this, uh, a deacon needs to be a one-woman man. Now, that doesn't just mean that you're only married to one woman. This, this is just not ruling out polygamists. Hey, polygamists, you're welcome to come to church and sit in the pews, but you can't be a deacon. No, that's not what he's saying. I think what he's saying is this, the deacons need to be men who by their example are proving themselves to be one woman men, one woman man, in their faithfulness and their character of purity in the way they relate to their wife. It's a very important thing, and it's something that lives, that, that is essential to the integrity of the deacon. So these are the basic requirements of a deacon, and that raises two questions I think that that we should just cover very briefly. The first is this, what is the difference between an elder and a deacon then? We have requirements for an elder, we have requirements for a deacon. I want you to notice one requirement for an elder that is not there for a deacon. Does anyone know what it is? One particular. An elder must be apt to teach. There's no requirement that a deacon be apt to teach. In other cases, their character is expected to be equivalent. Please, I I, I need to say this. A deacon is not someone who is not spiritual enough to be an elder. I mean that very seriously. A deacon needs to be spiritual in the same ways that an elder must be spiritual. It's not like someone who just doesn't quite make the cut. We have to recognize that. A deacon needs to have the same kind of character of integrity and honesty and Christian character that an elder does. There's really no difference. It is a difference of gifting and a difference of calling. A deacon is not expected. A deacon may teach. A deacon may be, in a sense, able to teach. 
But the central quality, the central character of a deacon is not toward teaching or in the same way ruling over the church of God, taking care of the entire church of God. It is instead an area of practical service, but nonetheless marked out by the same character that would be required for a pastor or for a church elder. One other question that I want to raise for all of us tonight, and that is this, can a woman be a deacon biblically? Is a woman allowed or permitted biblically to be a deacon? Let me show you something here, why this, I think, is a very important question. Go down to verse number 11. Verse number 11 says, even so must their wives be grave. And then it goes on to give these requirements. There's one thing I just want to point out. This word that is translated wives by our King James translators is actually simply the word for woman. There actually is no word in the Greek that is used in our New Testament for wife. Did you know that? It's simply the word for woman. But oftentimes it is marked out by saying his woman or their women. And it naturally refers to their wives. And so this has led some to say Paul does not use that pronoun to say even so their wives. He doesn't use that in the Greek. He just literally says women. Even so women must be grave. And he goes on to give all the requirements. This has led many to conclude that in this um, uh, area, the, the Bible allows, indeed permits, and we might even say could potentially encourage the role, the formal role of women as what we might call deaconesses. There is some support for this as well in Romans chapter 16. And you can just jot this as a note in your margin of your Bible and look at it on your own time. But in Romans chapter 16, Paul says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant, diakonos, same word, a deacon, a diakonos of the church which is at Centria. And listen to what he says. That ye receive her in the Lord as become of saints, as is fitting for saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succorer, a comforter, an encourager of many, and of myself also. He is saying, you do whatever she needs, because she has been my helper. Now this again. Is Paul using that word diakonos to its specific meaning to say she's been a deacon at that church? She's a capital D deacon? Or is he saying she has been a servant in the broader sense, a minister, as it's used all over the Bible? Our translators here think it's in the more general sense. Others believe it is in a more specific sense. I will say that our church constitution allows and specifically calls for deaconesses. Deaconesses can be appointed under our church constitution. Those who say they don't believe that's what Paul means here make a couple points. Probably the foremost of these in my mind is notice in verse 10, he's talking about male deacons, about the requirements for male deacons. Then in verse 11, he goes on to talk about women, how women need to be acting in a certain way. And then notice in verse 12, he says, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their own houses their children in their own house as well. He goes immediately back to be talking about men again. It seems a little bit odd in context that he would kind of jerk us around like this. Now he's talking about deacons. Now he's talking about deaconesses. Whoop, we're right back again to talking about deacons. I think that's why 
are translators here, and many have taken the view that he's specifically referring to the wives of deacons and not more broadly to a separate category of deaconesses. And you say, Peter, what do you think? I'm going to be very honest with you. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. Let me tell you what I think. There are two things that I really believe. The, two, the first thing I believe strongly is that the example of Phoebe in Romans 16 and the example of Romans chapter 12 of the encouragement of those who are gifted toward service and toward ministry must and does include women. And that means that in every local church, there should be those women who are gifted and empowered to live out their gifts of service and ministry in a particular way that includes formal responsibility. And we have done that at this church over many years, whether that's someone like uh, uh, Alicia when she worked here at the church and, and served in so many different capabilities of responsibility, whether that's Lydia right now who is working as a secretary at the church. I, this church is never going to be the same. I promise you that. I promise you that. You should see everything that Lydia is doing already. I'm so grateful. Whether that's someone who takes responsibility over our nursery ministry or takes responsibility in another way, that is absolutely biblical and I think it's absolutely to be encouraged and empowered in that way. I do think, this is my personal opinion, I do think that in light of the context of 1 Timothy chapter 3, he's probably more likely talking about the wives of deacons here then he is a separate category. Again, just that's how I read it in the way that I understand it. If you have a difference of opinion on that, you are, of course, free to hold that or raise it with me about why you see it the other way. That is the way that I view it right now. So you've seen the, the responsibility of the deacon. You've seen the requirements of the deacon. Let's close, lastly, with the reward of a deacon. Notice how he ends here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. He says, for they that have used the office, that office of a deacon, a formal role, well, purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Two things. The first is a good degree. The degree of a deacon at Straight Gate Church. Doesn't that sound like a great something to go on your wall? John, Dave, maybe like a, a formal degree? Yeah. No, that's not what he's talking about here. Do you know that actually the idea degree here, it means a standing or a step, like a threshold, almost like you're taking a step up a stair. You're stepping up. You have a great standing, almost like you're on a platform. Now, this might strike us as odd. A great platform where? In my view, in the local church. You say, what? I thought these people were called to be servants. I thought they were called to be at the bottom. If they are great, Jesus says, you need to be servants at the bottom. And my, my point is exactly. Who does Jesus elevate in his kingdom? Those who serve. And I believe what he is, what Paul is suggesting here is that those who use the office of a deacon well, it's as if they step up on a platform, not for others to celebrate them, but for others to exemplify them. For others to imitate them. For others to be encouraged by their example and start serving like them. They purchase a good standing, a good step.
Paul had this same idea when he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Literally, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And friends, you yourself know, just like me, those who are living out lives of Christian service in this body, you know if I started names, I, I naming names, you would just say, yep, 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 yep. That is so many of you. How many of you have been inspired to greater Christian service by someone you saw in this body? You'd have to say it, wow, all the time. Me, all the time. Those who use the office of a servant, a formal role as a servant well, are inspiration and imitations and examples to the rest of the body of Christ to say, I want to imitate the life of Christ like they are. What an encouragement, what a reward that is, not to prop me up on a pedestal, but to prop up the Christ-like character that Jesus himself is living out through me. They have a good degree, a good standing, and not only that, they have great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You say, what is that? This word boldness could mean the boldness to speak. Do you remember who one of those first diakonoses was in Acts chapter 6? Stephen, do you think he was a man whose Christian character enabled him to be bold when the time came for the gospel of Christ? You bet. But it may mean something else. It may mean, as it's also used, confidence. Confidence in the faith which is in Jesus Christ, which is what? It is, I think, this. When you live out your calling and your gift in such a way that the Spirit is ministering to others through you, do you know what that does? It gives you great assurance that you are the called of God. It gives you great assurance that you are one of the body of Christ, that you are living in the fullness of the Spirit, that you are going to stand before Jesus Christ one day and you have confidence that he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You are going to have assurance in that respect. Isn't that a great reward? The great reward to be an example in the body of Christ of humble service, the reward to have great assurance and confidence that you are God's and he is working through you and ministering through your humble service to minister to others. That's a great reward. And it's something that comes with those who use the office of a deacon well, so what is a deacon? Let me put, try to put all these things together. What is a deacon biblically? A deacon is one called to a role of formal service. Called to a role of formal service in relation to a particular task or tasks. They are called to a role of formal service in, in relation to a particular task or tasks, and they are chosen due to a life of integrity and fidelity that will be an example to others. That's what a deacon is biblically. They are called to minister in a particular task or tasks, and they are chosen due to a life of integrity and Christian character that will be an example to others. Now, the question for us tonight is, do these men and their wives satisfy the requirements of being a deacon? And my view and our view as elders as we have studied this question is that absolutely without question, I think all of us probably have recognized 
the humble service that John and Bonnie and that Dave and Joanne and that Ben and Libby have ministered in different ways and across different facets in their walk with Christ and in their role with this church. And in those ways, we can just say unqualifiedly, they are examples to us. They are examples of, of, of integrity. They have been examples of Christian character. And that's why for us, it seemed very clear that they, and we would have loved to have Ron here, but God had different plans for him to have men who are called out by their integrity and their character, not by other unbiblical or other add-ons that the Bible doesn't tell us to consider. There's one other consideration. Why now? Why now in the life of the church? We haven't had formal deacons, at least for as long as I can remember here at church. Well, let's go back to why. Why do you have deacons in the first place? In one sense, it is to be an example. And I think there is something powerful about us identifying deacons who are known for their humble service and say these, these are examples for all of us to follow. These are examples for all of us to consider. But it's also this. It is a means of empowering. We at our church have recognized that is with an elder board that is made up of bivocational people. We have our own challenges in the daily ministration, if you'll allow the analogy. There are many balls that we have seen dropped or that we are always constantly, verily trying to juggle and not drop. And it has become very clear to us that if we're going to live out the life in this church that God wants us to, it's going to need to be empowering spiritual people to take roles of, of leadership and example and integrity and faithfulness that will allow us as elders to focus in, we trust, a greater way in ministering the word and in ministering prayer. And this is just one of many steps that God willing we will just take consistently over this year to continue to expand our ministry in humble service and hopefully in these daily tasks and other things and as well in our own pastoring and our own leadership, spiritual leadership as elders. Now what does this mean? There are many more men in our church who are capable of being deacons and who meet the qualifications. I want to be clear that if you are not one of these men, it is not any comment on your own um, uh, personal integrity or character. We selected these three men really largely, not just because of their integrity and character, but because really they were already acting as deacons. John, in his leadership of our church building and the grounds and the oversight that he's taken now for several years, Dave, in all his years of faithful service in accounting and the financial decisions of the church, Ben, in all of his work surrounding the building and the grounds as well, and our bus ministry and other forms, these men have already been serving in this role, and we decided that we would start here. We would start with these men. I want to be very clear. We are very open and very uh, hopeful that we will add to this deacon board in the years ahead. This is not a permanent form of service. This is not an exclusive form that no one else can be a part of. And of course, if you think that this may be a role that God may call you to, I would love to talk with you about that. I would love to have that conversation. There may be other men of you that are called to be elders that, who are particularly we see as being apt to teach and as being called in a way to have a, a different role 
of leadership in the church. And of course, we have been and will be continuing to talk to you about that. But we just want to encourage all of us toward what God has for us here, which is for all of us to be humble servants in the calling that God has for us in this body, in the gifts that he has given us, and the opportunity to live that out as examples of integrity and Christ's character and the Holy Spirit's power in its ability to minister to others. So where do we go from here? I do want to encourage you. The reason I'm announcing this tonight is because, of course, one of the requirements of a deacon is that these men are to be blameless. They are to have that character of reputation. And that is, of course, something that we already believe is there. But if any of you have any concerns about this, if any of you have any questions about how we went about this, about the men themselves, or anything along those lines, I do ask you to approach me or us as the elders. Uh, we would take that, of course, anonymously. We just want to make sure um, that, of course, these men have the support of our broader church body. And then we trust that after that point, assuming that there are no issues there, we will formally lay hands on them and appoint them to this role biblically. And we'll trust that God will lead them and direct them, particularly in the areas of our church building, our grounds, our finances. We intend to give them very significant discretion and empowerment to handle the financial health of our church, to make wise decisions in, in stewarding the resources that God has given us, in, in, in helping with our alms account and our generosity toward the community and in other things. And we trust that God is going to use them as humble servants, as his humble servants, to support our ministry here at Straight Gate Church, and most importantly, to advance his kingdom in the days ahead. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the role of a deacon. We know, because your word says, that they that use the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree, a good standing, and great boldness, great confidence in the faith which is in Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for John, thank you for Dave, thank you for Ben. Thank you for, the, uh, for Bonnie and for Joanne and for Libby and for the character of integrity and of Christ-likeness that each one of them manifests in their own humble service. And Father, I do pray that you would give direction, clear leading and guidance. And I pray that each one, not just these, but each one of us would be inspired and have a great example of Jesus Christ himself in our life to live out our own gifts and our own calling when it comes to humble service. We ask this in Jesus' name.